Data Storytellers, Laszlo here. And today on the show, I have with me Baron Penner. And Baron is the Director of BI and Analytics at Charter Manufacturing. And today we're going to explore a few data-related topics as we do. Baron, welcome on the show. Thank you. It's great to be with you today. So you've been with uh, Charter Manufacturing for just three months, but you do have a, kind of a colorful, uh, colorful uh, career. Uh, can you just introduce yourself and uh, tell us how you got into the world of analytics? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my name is Baron Penner. And yes, you're exactly right. I've been at Charter Manufacturing for just three months now. But how I really got into the world of analytics was almost by accident. <laughs> and I think as I as I talked with people in my network and interview people, um, that that's not unusual. But for me, um, what happened is I was leading I was doing some consulting at the time as a project manager, and there was a failed data warehouse project that they asked me to come in and try to turn around and make successful. Um, and that was honestly my first foray into data and analytics and data warehousing. And, you know, I'm the type of person that said, I don't know anything about this, but I can manage a project. And so really it was working with leadership in that organization to bring in the right talent so we could be successful and train the existing talent so they could sustain um, the environment and continue to build out. And that's exactly what we did. And from that point on, I'm just like, I, I really like this. It has a huge impact on the business. And case in point there was um, through the use of analytics, we discovered that they were forecasting incorrectly. Mm, interesting. And what happened? So they were forecasting incorrectly. And you guys, like, how far could you push that whole uh, descriptive analytics, uh, predictive analytics, prescriptive analytics uh, journey? Like, how far could you get at that stage of your career? Yeah, at that point, we were actually really more just in terms of what had happened and trying to do the forecast for a future month. Um, so a little bit of um, prescriptive. Um, but yeah, the methodology they were using was incorrect. And we, we discovered that through exposing the data and the information and making it meaningful um, and, and ultimately creating a model that worked for them. Got it. So what happened after? Because I see, so, so this was uh, back in, uh, this was uh, electronic data systems. What was it that or was it after? This was this was at Principal Financial Group. Principal Financial. Got it, got it, got it. Yep. So, yep. so after that, so you were an associate director of uh, BI and the next role for you in which you were for almost four years was uh, Aviva. Uh, USA. Yeah, Again, so then I moved company. on to Aviva USA, and uh, my role there was really to take an existing data and analytics team and sort of re-engineer and rebuild that into a high-performing team. Um, and as I just said, there were some existing resources. They were great resources, but really what we did, and actually I started out as a contract there and ended up being offered the director position. Um, but really what we did is I started really building relationships with stakeholders, focusing on communicating, creating visibility to what we are doing and, um, you know, a lot of other things, of course. But those were some really key things that helped turn kind of turn the ship around. And, you know, when I first walked in, the CFO said, I have no idea what this group is doing. When we make requests, they fall into black holes. 
Um, and so by creating that visibility and communication, people knew what we were working on. And then, um, you know, through creating a council and priorities, which is something I've done at every organization that I've joined, um, we, we ultimately ended up launching a data governance program, which really wasn't in the scope of what I was set out to do, but was asked to launch a formal data governance program. And we did that with success as well. Mm, that's what I wanted to ask you about. So the data governance piece, uh, was data governance as such uh, kind of new for you? Uh, or did you have to do that in one shape or another, maybe not labeled as data governance, now maybe in a little bit more organized and targeted way? Yeah, I would say for the most part, it was new. Obviously, the concepts weren't something new to me, but the scenario there was um, not atypical. A consulting company came in and said, hey, we have a framework to implement data governance. Um, they provided the framework, but I was um, left in a good way, but left to implement that framework. And so what I did is I kind of personalized it and made it fit the culture of the organization rather than just taking a template and saying, boom, this is what we're doing. And I'm a huge advocate of doing things incrementally as opposed to trying to boil the ocean. Mm. So we didn't do full data governance across the entire enterprise. We picked certain domains and started working through those. This was an insurance company. Um, and so one of the things that we did to really drive momentum too is obviously we established a data governance committee, data stewards and data owners, but we actually incented and recognized those data stewards for the work they were doing to motivate others to get engaged and be involved. And then we also articulated successes that we were seeing. Um, so that really helped us gain some momentum because Everybody wants data governance, but no one wants to do the hard work, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And no one wants to be governed. That's the, that's the... <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's for them, not me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the other side of the of the equation. Um, and it's kind of the same as uh, maybe we will talk about data literacy later on, is no one wants to uh, be seen as illiterate. So there are, exactly. there are some of these conceptual obstacles that you need to, need to get over. So uh, after Aviva, by the way, I didn't even know that uh, Aviva is uh, huge in the in, in the US. I mean, I'm from Europe, and I know that mm -hmm. they're quite present there. But is it big, uh, Aviva, in the US? Aviva was purchased by Athene USA, so I don't honestly. It's been so long; I don't remember the, like the assets under management at the time. Mm -hmm. But it's a pretty good size life insurance and annuity organization for sure. Okay, got it. And then, yeah, based again, in Europe, to your point. Yeah, 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 exactly. Actually, we work with uh, a few insurance companies here too, like New York Life, for example. I know that they are, you know, huge. They have like half a trillion dollars of assets or so. But I thought Aviva was more like a, a European organization. But then the next, the next station for it was definitely like a very American insurance company, uh, American Family <laughs> yes. Insurance, right? So, uh, what was your mandate there? Yeah, so the mandate there was really to stand up a data organization and. As you well know, in some cases, data or analytics organizations are in the business side of the organization or the IT side of the organization. In this instance, it was actually in the business. So the business was standing up a data organization. Within that organization, my specific role was to build a analytics center of excellence team. And so that was literally building a team from the ground up, from ground zero. Um, and what we did there was... And I never really liked the term center of excellence because that's also kind of condescending. It's like, mm. we're the experts. You don't know what we're doing. We're here to help you. Um, mm. Doesn't go very well. But 
nonetheless, people can kind of relate to what that means conceptually. So we had the analytic tooling, SaaS, business objects, and then also deployed Tableau to about 5,000 people in the organization. And uh, really, it was there to create um, subject matter experts in the organization that then could go out among the different business units and train, mentor, coach, um, and provide that guidance to really drive the transformation of analytics for American family. Mm, got it. And then you were there for three and a, three and a half years. Uh, during that Correct. time, by the way, and I see that your role was information strategy and business enablement. And I really like seeing this, by the way, because it really shines a light on what analytics should be about. As you said, it's not this kind of self-serving, we are the analytics experts, the uh, you know the technical excellence can be found here because no one really cares. Ultimately, right. it is an enablement uh, organization. So uh, yeah. what... What brought you to the next stage? Because then you were at the master lock company, which sounds very different from, from insurance. It is. So going from insurance to manufacturing, right? Just one comment about the information mm -hmm. strategy. It's really at American Family Insurance where I worked with my team. I didn't do it single-handedly, but we built a strategy framework um, that we use as, as an organization to develop an information strategy. So I'm always careful to say, you know, when you talk about developing a data strategy, a lot of times that has a technical focus. This was very information focused. So data domains or data capabilities, but we delivered or, or created that framework and used that to create a three-year roadmap around information strategy. So certain data domains the first one that we kicked off was um, customer 365. Um, and then shortly after that, yeah, I moved on to Masterlock. Again, my first foray into manufacturing. I love learning new things. And so throwing yourself into a whole new industry is kind of like, boom. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but it, it's fun. Um, and so at, at Masterlock, great organization, been around for 100 years. But with that also comes a lot of um, kind of legacy. And that was kind of the scenario is we aspired to do greater things, but needed to kind of modernize our platform. And that is from a technical perspective, as well as just a business capabilities perspective. So um, there was an existing team. We did grow and expand that team. And ultimately, we're leading three teams across three different organizations for Fortune Brands. Um, but my approach when I walk into an organization like that, number one is listen. You've got to listen versus come in and say, boom, here's what we're doing. Here's my three-year roadmap. It's the same one I've used four times. You know, we're just going to repeat it type of thing. That does not work well. And so I really do seriously spend the first 30 to 60 days just listening and talking to people. The other thing that I feel is really critical is truly caring about people. Everyone says that, but really do it and work very specifically and intentionally around building relationships with people. And so that's just kind of my style of leadership. So walking into Masterlock, partnering with business stakeholders across sales, finance, marketing. And again, we created an analytics council. We work together to hold workshops, leveraging that same framework that we developed to create a three-year roadmap and started executing against that roadmap. And the really fun part was after about a year and a half, <clears throat> I'll never forget being in one of our analytic council meetings and just reviewing the roadmap. And the comment from multiple stakeholders was, 
I can't believe we've made that much progress and accomplished those many things. And that's like, yes, that's why I'm here. <laughs> mm, that's amazing. And then actually, when, when this is such a good point that when you go in, you, you shouldn't just bring a roadmap, uh, kind of a one size fits all type of approach and try to enforce your will and perspective. But at least at that stage of the relationship, you should be more passive in a good way, like more, more receptive. Yes. Did you have, yes. like, do you have any best practices on how to actually do that? Like what, what are you looking for when you first enter into an organization? Who are you looking the very, for? Yeah. The, the very first thing I do is work with my leader to establish a 30, 60 and 90 day plan. So I specific tasks, um, you know, uh, tactics, if you will, what am I going to do in the first 30 days? That first 30 days is lots of meets and greets. So identify who my stakeholders are, schedule even just 30 minute meetings to say, hi, I'm Baron. I'm the new guy. You know, tell me a little bit about you, your role. But I also leverage that opportunity to say, give me your perspective of the current state. Give me your perspective of pain points and opportunities. Um, and this won't be your only opportunity, but it's a great way to begin to build that relationship. So that's the primary thing I do. Um, and then I take that and kind of collect themes that I've heard as I go back through my notebook, because I do take notes and look at, hey, what are the themes here? And it's not just from that notebook that I build the strategy, but then we go into workshops. But I leverage the feedback from those first 30 days to, to influence the strategy as well. Hmm. And then basically with not to get too granular, but I know that the art of asking the right questions is always like very, very crucial in uh, building relationships. So um, do you have any best practices on the right questions to ask? And what is your really strategic perspective of building these relationships? Like how, how are you looking to leverage these in the, uh, in the future when you, when you come in first? Yeah. So I leverage those to identify who, what I would call are the key stakeholders. And those oftentimes become who the members of the analytics council will be. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's one kind of takeaway there. And then I know I talked about being personal, but I really try to leverage that time just to get to know people on a little bit of a personal level, because I feel that's really important. Um, and so that, that really is my approach. Got it. Got it. So basically you, you uh, came in with master lock. I see that the next stage for you was still with master lock, right? So the senior director. Yeah, of data that's where I was alluding to earlier that mm -hmm. initially I started with master lock and then just through acquisitions and reorganizations, I ended up leading three separate teams, one for master lock, one for Thermatrue and one for um, Fiberon. Fibron mm -hmm. manufactures composite decking out of recycled product. Thermatrue manufactures exterior residential doors. Um, but really then work to begin to merge those teams together to find opportunities to collaborate and deliver for the organization. In some ways, replicate what we did at Masterlock, but other ways, find opportunities to collaborate across the entire organization. Got it. And then what were the main differences for you between working for a financial company and insurance brand and manufacturing? Were there any meaningful differences or from the perspective of a data analytics professional, it's kind of, uh, kind of all the same? Um, I, it's not all the same. There's definitely similarities. However, I would say insurance, and probably rightfully so, tends to move much slower. Um, there's a lot of regulations, there's a lot of risk aversion, those types of things. 
Um, and so what I found in the manufacturing environment is a faster pace, a willingness to move at a faster pace typically. Um, obviously, there's less regulation in many regards and, and those types of things. And so it's a little easier to move fast. Um, I've also found, you know, in smaller organizations, there tends to be less bureaucracy. So mm-hmm. um, that also helps the pace at which you can move. Yeah, sure. And what's your mission now then at the Charter? Really, the mission at Charter is to stand up um, a business intelligence and analytics team to drive transformation across the entire Charter enterprise. And I'm always careful to say there's been a lot of good work already done. There are some existing team members, but we're scaling up. Um, You know, in essence, there were four team members in place. I'm hiring another six um, and anticipate future growth. But kind of my strategy is, and I think this is, this works well is to create domain experts to support each of the various business units and um, not only do work, but also work to coach, mentor, train, and develop an upscale analyst in each of those business domain areas. In essence, ultimately to work ourselves out of a job, Hmm. which I don't think will happen, but that, you know, if you said, what's the aspiration, it, it literally would be, let's work ourselves out of a job, make these people so good they don't need us. Okay, no, that sounds great. And uh, would you call this that data democratization? I know that different phrases are being thrown around, but we like to shine a light on the actual meaning behind the buzzwords. Uh, so so is that is that what you guys are doing, trying to democratize uh, data? Yeah, and just, just, I would say yes. And just to expand on that a little further, mm-hmm. what we're doing is a little bit different than what I've done in the past. And I'm actually liking it more and more as I get into it is, the, the business intelligence and analytics leads for each of those domains are actually quite technical. So your traditional IT group, they are only provisioning the raw data for us. Our team is picking it. So there's no transformation done, no data cleansing, those types of things. And so our team is really picking it up from that raw layer and doing all the data engineering work and also creating the data visualizations. And so... Um, where I'm going with that is the whole data mesh um, terminology and, and process is coming into play. And in essence, that's a little bit about what we're doing because we're empowering business people to be able to own those data domains and develop that content. Okay, got it. So so in a way, I mean, it is different what you're doing now, but at the same time, you're still trying to bring together and closer together data and and, and business uh, priorities Absolutely. and perspectives. Absolutely. So, so um so it would be interesting now to maybe take like a step back and zoom out because you've been in uh, data and in a senior role uh, for 20 years now almost. Uh, yep. Basically. I hate so, to say it, but yes. <laughs> yeah, it comes with the, the good and the bad. I mean, yeah, you suddenly <laughs> realize, that, whoa, wait a second, it's been two decades. But at the same time, that 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 perspective and that experience from, from my view tends to be invaluable. So uh, one of those insights is how did you see the industry change and the key opportunities and challenges for senior data analytics practitioners? Is it all the same? Did the technological expansion change all that? Maybe certain challenges became uh, accentuated, more burning, more pressing. Like, what is your take on this? Yeah, great question. You know, it's changed dramatically from when I first started. 
And, you know, the first piece of that is technology. And we know all know technology changes fast, right? But if you go back to my first days, we were using IBM DB2 databases. <laughs> Today we have Snowflake. Um, huge difference. But even just to kind of the best practices around data warehousing and I'll say um, data practices with the Inman or the Kimball approach, and even how that has changed um, to more of that data democratization type of approach and things like that. It's just a whole different world. And even in terms of the resources and the skills and the people, the resources. So you think about people that you're trying to hire for those roles. I would say, yes, the technical aspects are important. I don't want to minimize that. But I've come to the realization that those soft skills are almost more important than the technical skills, because if you have the technical aptitude, I can teach you the technical pieces, but it's those soft skills that really make an analyst excel in their career. Mm, okay, so soft skills. So we're kind of hitting the money there with the soft <laughs> skills because you know the data storytellers, a lot of people think that we talk about data visualization and how to explain different data sets, but not really because ultimately as a data analytics practitioner, uh, you have to tell the story of data analytics. People don't get it. People don't understand it. And you know what? People don't really care and that might hurt, but you know the potential in what data analytics can do for the business. And it's your responsibility to push that through, to inspire people, educate people, get them to buy into this idea and change how they do work. And it's a huge undertaking. And this Absolutely. is exactly, exactly what we found is that is that the key are soft skills. You won't be able to win them over by presenting flashier and more complicated technologies. That's just not the way to conquer those hearts and minds. So yeah. first of all, for you, uh, was your ability to communicate and uh, engage individuals, did that come naturally? Do you think it's a talent? It's something that you developed? It's something that you maybe acquired from learning from mentors. How did that come to you? Yeah, not to sound like a, a, you know, a mixed bag here, but I think it really is a mixed bag. I think for me personally, um, I, I am kind of wired more towards a, a people mindset, um, just personality wise. Um, I typically, at least when I was young, was a very quiet individual. Um, and so I'm not one of the persons who goes and bangs my fist on the table and says, this is what we need to do. Um, but it's, it's, I've learned through coaching and mentoring of former leaders that I've had how important those relationship building skills are. And so, you know, I just think about how you would tackle a project as an analyst. Um, working with that stakeholder, understand what is the problem they're trying to solve, and then asking those curiosity questions to make sure you really understand that they're not just telling you a symptom of the problem, but they're telling you the root cause of the problem that they're trying to solve. And then doing it very iteratively through the process, not saying, great, I know what you want, I'll go build it and come back and say, here it is. So very iterative, you know, agile's an overused word. I don't care whether you use the agile methodology, but really just having those frequent touch points and showing them where you are in the process. Is this what you're thinking? How can we tweak it, adjust it? And then even challenging your stakeholder to say, I understand what you're asking for, but have you thought about thinking about it like this? Or, or even doing some of that analysis yourself and saying, look what I found in the data. Did you realize this? and trying to uncover some of those insights to get them excited about the possibilities of what you're doing. 
And then one thing I learned, honestly, just within the last couple of years is on the back end, a lot of times people create visualizations and implement them and they say, go use them and they expect adoption to pick up. You really need to complete the life cycle by doing the training and the onboarding of those users to drive that engagement. And I think that's absolutely critical. Hmm. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned this whole idea of the follow-up challenging your, your stakeholder. One concept that really resonates with me that we heard from one of our members is the data, data consigliere. Uh, from from the Godfather, right? Because he's the the, uh, the most influential person in the entire movie is that individual who can ask the right questions, challenge the 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 main guy, the boss, the right way, and that's how you can actually implement change. And again, that's a huge influence. Mm-hmm. So, did did you notice or did you experience that kind of lack of influence in the business? Did you find yourself having to sell data analytics in any way? Sell it to the board? Sell it to individuals? Kind of pitching data analytics, or was it more? like no let's just very gently over a long period of time kind of uh let them learn by osmosis by showing them what we can do good question um depending on the organization that i've joined i'd said it's been a little bit different um i would say from a charter manufacturing perspective they are embracing it so we have top down bottom up support so it's kind of um executive level grassroots support Um, And that's a fantastic position to be in because it allows you to move quite quickly. You don't have to spend as much time on the education and things like that and gaining that momentum. I've been in organizations, though, where it's kind of like we're talking about data governance. Everybody wants analytics, but they don't really want to do the work. Um, And so many times you, you spend the first six to nine months, honestly, being an educator and helping people kind of learn and understand what it can do for the organization. Um, but, you know, the cool part is if, you know, in one of the organizations I was in fast forward from start date two years out and we built a revenue generating machine that generated rev- millions of dollars of revenue. And that absolutely got us a lot of momentum for further investment in, in BINA. Mm, so if you look at, let's say that someone who listens works for an organization that is similar to Charter in terms of having that support from senior management, and what is the biggest cha- what is the biggest challenge then? So uh, is it about getting the right people on board? Is it about then building the right solutions for the right people at the right time, leveraging your, your team? So what do you see then if you have that buy-in, if you have that support, then what are the bottlenecks that you should target and and, uh, um, and really try to resolve? Yeah, for me, it is identifying the, I'm going to say, appropriate stakeholders that can help drive forward. So yes, there's support, but I like to think of um, business intelligence analytics is not just my role, it's all of our roles. And so if I can find people and the best way I describe an analytics council member is someone who's an advocate or an ambassador of analytics. Those are the type of people that I'm looking for. So it's not just me beating the drum of data and analytics and the art of the possibility that there's others that in as they're in department meetings, staff meetings, different things like that, they've got that mindset and they're talking those things. And by nature of me communicating and creating visibility of what 
about what we're doing, they're able to articulate that and I'm arming them with information that, that they can share and disseminate across the organization. And that really helps drive momentum is what I've found. Hmm. So uh, what you're saying, and it's not like I hear storytelling everywhere, even though I'm definitely like biased and, and, and geared towards seeing, sto- <laughs> you know, when you have have a hammer, everything becomes a nail. But at the same sure. time, at, at the same time, like, have you used storytelling intentionally? Is it something, is it a practice that you that you think about that you that you find like useful as a, a as a concept and maybe even thinking about your communication as a way of storytelling that might help you to get better, better results? Yeah, the best way I would answer that is I would say one of the things that I very intentionally do, I talk about visibility, but we create a monthly newsletter or bulletin of sorts, in essence, that says it's a little bit of marketing, right? And But in essence, it's what have you done for me lately? And so, again, the people that you delivered something for typically know, you know, this particular, we did something for supply chain or we delivered a capability for finance. However, not everyone else in the organization always knows that. And so we very intentionally communicate on a monthly basis. Here's the things that we did for you. Here's what we have planned in the next 30 days. And here's what's on deck beyond that. And then that fosters the priority discussions, but also creates a lot of visibility. So others in the organization can say, hmm, I'm very interested in inventory data. And I see you're doing a project with inventory data. And so that generates ideas and allows us to collaborate much more effectively versus building siloed solutions for each of those domains. Okay, got it. And then uh, when you you talked about empowering others to tell your story, basically for you. So yes. when we talk about empowering others, maybe if we switch gears a little bit, when we look at your team, look at the data science team, uh, I'm sure that these people, as they usually are, incredibly talented, intelligent, sometimes they have PhDs, uh, they have all kinds of opportunities. Uh, Did you find that sometimes uh, these teams, for whatever reason, they don't really live up to their potential? And if so, what do you think that holds data science teams back from having Mm. a stronger impact? Um. Great question. I would say in terms of what holds people back from really getting that momentum, um, it's not necessarily the data scientist or the people, the skill set. Honestly, now, um, you know, there's a there's a whole, I'm going to say, range of skill sets from analysts to data scientists, right? What I would say is good leadership that can provide the guidance, the coaching, the mentoring on the methodologies of how are we going to disseminate this information? What are our approaches? How do we communicate consistency of communication so everyone doesn't do it differently? Um, and so it's it's kind of goes even to best practices just around how we work. So one of the things that I also do when I come into an organization, we're just getting ready to do this now at Charter, is create, ironically, a team charter. But that charter says, this is who we are, this is what we do, and this is why we exist. And um, that's a one-pager. It's not a 25-page roles and responsibilities document. But then that is something that really gives the team clarity around why we exist. And it also gives our stakeholders a better understanding of why are we here and what are we doing? 
Hmm. Okay, that's a really a really cool like actionable snippet. So it's basically the the the, the sense of purpose, the sense of mission, yep. and and when you have that, you find that it's almost like a well calibrated weapon at that uh, at that point. Um. So what are you most excited about now in terms of the maybe new and arising opportunities in the industry in data analytics? If you look at, I mean, if you look back for the past two decades and then you turn your gaze towards the decade of data that's upon us, like what are you most excited about? What do you think that uh, will be the main thing that organizations should leverage and really aspire to? I think, um, although everybody talks about it, right or wrong, my perspective is, um, some are some are doing advanced analytics data science work. Many are not really doing that yet is what I'm finding. And so I think we will see in the next three to five years a definite swing towards organizations that haven't embraced that yet, embracing data science, advanced analytics, prescriptive, all those fun things. Um, again, it's kind of one of those things that people want to do, but um, haven't necessarily had the the wherewithal to do it. The other thing is that technology is going to continue to change. And so not, and I've had to remind myself, and then like I said, I've been in this for 20 years, is not getting stuck in a rut of, you know, we're going to follow the Kimball approach to data warehousing is be open and actually embrace new ways of doing things, different ways of doing thing and evaluate whether that's, it's time to pivot and make that change. And really, you don't necessarily have to be on the bleeding edge, but don't be a lagger. Mm. And then on the flip side of that, so uh, this is for organizations. You already mentioned data leadership as a critical and crucial component. Um, so what do you think are those qualities that data leaders should really embody and demonstrate in order to take advantage of the opportunities within these companies? What would be your personal recommendations for the aspiring leaders of the future? Um. I've said some of these things already. Mm -hmm. People really care about people, relationships. That has nothing to do with data, but it's critical for success. And then arm yourself with information. Keep yourself current. Um, you know, I, I read um, different articles that come out. I leverage um, organizations like Gartner to try to stay current on, you know, magic quadrants and things like that. Um, and just be open to change and also realize that the power comes not necessarily from just you as a leader, but the power is by embracing the team and having giving everyone the opportunity to have input and feedback into that whole process. Amazing. Well, Baron, this was a really fun interview. I think we touched on a lot of things and uh, we could also go to a considerable depth as well on, on some of these topics and, uh, you know, some of your best practices on uh, how to establish your presence in a new organization, how to find the right key stakeholders, what kind of questions to ask, and also how to really uh, navigate a team to to be successful. So thank you very much for your insights. Hopefully we can maybe get you on one of our thought leadership pieces as well to maybe take a deeper dive into one of these topics. But it was a, it was a lot of fun and we hope to see you back soon. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Mm -hmm.